Well, welcome back. We are in Asuka live in full effect. Season of our rejoicing. See, uh, what is it? Zeman Simkatenu. There we go. I get this uh, sometimes crossed up with Zeman Cherutenu. So that's Pesach, the season of our freedom, season of our redemption, season of our salvation. That's Pesach. That's in the spring. We're now in the season of our rejoicing, season of our joy and gladness. That's that's right now. So chilling in the sukkah. Still got Yehoshua Ben Hillel here with me. So we've been hanging out all day, enjoying enjoying life. So I got a. Uh, uh, a little moth or a gnat coming at my face on my grill. Let me put my mask down. Okay. So, I want to go to an article by Yehuda Sherpin from Chabad. And he is bringing down how to step your game up, is what I'm going to call this. You ever notice how when we uh, get ready to stand up for the Shemoni Esrei, a.k.a. the Amidah, the standing prayer, we do three steps back and then three steps forward. Well, what what are we doing? We're not doing the cha-cha slide. Uh, and then furthermore, when we're doing the mourner's Kaddish, there's a part where we take three steps back and do the O Se Shalom, Bin Ramav, Huya Se Shalom Aleinu. So every single time we do these steps, it's always to step backwards to say O Se Shalom Bim Romav as we bow to the left Hu Ya Se Shalom Aleinu as we bow to the right and then Vel Kol Yisrael Vimru Amen to the front why do we do that? forgot to uh, silence my phone but uh, here we go alright so here's why we do that Talmud Yama 53b Shulkan Aruk Harav 95.2 Shibole Haleket 18 Shulkan Aruk Orak Chaim 56.5 Kaf HaChaim 56.36 Shabbat 88b If you haven't read Shabbat 88b you might want to do so that is probably one of the most epic dafs of the Talmud that you could possibly ever read uh, Rabbi Hagaon quoted in Beit Yosef. Uh, we got several passages from the Tanakh. We got Devarim 4.11, Shemot 20 verse 18, Yehezekiel 1.7, <clears throat> Sha'ar HaKolel 9.39. Oh, and, and because not, nothing's a drosh without the Zohar, right? <laughs> Zohar volume 1, 202a. With some um, Shir Hasharim Rabbah 36, Sanhedrin 96a. I'm gonna go straight to that point. Let's do that one. So it says, according to the Midrash, it was in the merit of these three steps backwards that Nebuchadnezzar took for God's honor that he merited to become king and ultimately destroy the temple. So let's go back. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar did something that gave him merit. And it's connected to the three steps. So this was brought up at our tour study on the fourth night of Sukkot. <clears throat> and um, we were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's the deal with this? Why do we take steps back? 
Nice. Yehoshua is uh, engineering the fan over here, so getting the play-by-play -play on that. It's legit. Trying to just stay cool, you know, keeping cool about things. <clears throat> Always wanted a fan, you know, so anyway. So um, the question was asked by Kola Shlita, one of our Avengers, and uh, she said, why do we take three steps back during the morning Scottish, which we thought she was talking about the Shimona Esrei. Because she's like, why do we take three steps back and say, oh, say shalom? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And Chazan was like, well, in order to answer that, you got to wonder, why do we take three steps forward? So, ended up finding out, well, she's not talking about the Shimoni Esrei. Because Shimoni Esrei, you have to take three steps forward. And then you take three steps back. So, to get in the Shimoni Esrei, you know, obviously you set yourself up by taking the first three steps back. And then... As you say, Adonai Seftai Tif Tak, you take the three steps forward. Adonai open up my lips that my mouth may declare your praises. So you're likened to entering into the chamber of the king. So while you're doing the whole standing prayer, you are one with the Shekinah. You are in the chamber of the king, all of that wonderfulness. And then at the conclusion of the Shema or the uh, Shalom blessing and the uh, Elohai not... Um, make my soul like dust to everyone like that whole passage and then you do your name uh, verse then you step back three steps and then you bow to the left and bow to the right and bow to the front as you're saying say shalom bim romav he who makes peace in his heights may make peace upon us and upon all Yisrael so when you do the three steps back you also do that during the Kaddish mourners Kaddish included um and it's just kind of like, okay, so why are we doing that? What's the deal? What's the, what's up with these three steps? So, uh, Mr. Sherpine over here is dropping down some stuff. So, here's the answer to that question that we were stumped on. So, first thing with this countering Nebuchadnezzar's steps. Here's the story. Or, shall we say, here's the scoop. Uh, it says, early in Nebuchadnezzar's career, before he ultimately became king and destroyed the first holy temple, he served as the royal scribe of King Merodach Baladan of Babylonia. So he was a Babylonia or Babylonian scribe, a royal scribe at that. So it says, it happened that after God miraculously healed King Hezekiah of Judah, King Merodach Baladan had a letter of greetings written up and sent it to King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah in Hebrew is Hiskiyahu Hamelech. goes on to say, the letter, however, first mentioned greetings to King Hezekiah before mentioning God. So this letter uh, Nebuchadnezzar was writing, he first was like, well, O king, and then Hashem. So it says, when Nebuchadnezzar, who was not there at the time, heard about it, he said that this was disrespectful to God, and he ran after the messenger in order to rewrite the letter. So Sleek, uh, king, uh, before he was king, Nebuchadnezzar didn't write the letter originally. He heard about it, and then he rewrote it. So when Nebuchadnezzar wrote the letter, he said, God first, king second. So he ran after the messenger and got that letter, 
and rewrote it. So Nebuchadnezzar was very, very serious about honoring God first, putting God before man. Very, very interesting. Because who do we know King Nebuchadnezzar as? The one who built that statue and said, Everybody bow to my statue. I am the glorious one. I am the God of all gods and king of all kings. It's like, but earlier before you became king, I guess before you got corrupted, you were all about the honor of God. So now after you've been made king and all this kind of stuff, now you want to take over and do things crazy. But anyway, I won't talk about that. It says, according to the Midrash, it was in the merit of these three steps backward that Nebuchadnezzar took for God's honor that he merited to become king and ultimately destroy the holy temple. So the steps he took, they say they were backwards. Here's what the footnote says. See Sha'ar HaKolel 939. The version in the Talmud leaves it unclear whether he was ultimately successful in returning the letter and rewriting it. However, from the versions in the Midrash and Zohar, it seems that he was indeed successful in rewriting it. So, if we were able to have that source, we could really go in depth on that. But since we don't, we can't. So, it says, countering his three steps, we too took three respectful steps backwards when taking leave of the Divine Presence. After, okay, stop. When we daven, okay, from the Siddur, we, we do Shema, we do Shemona Esrei, we should see it as if the Divine Presence is standing before us. This is why things halakhically say, you know, you shouldn't take this time to spit and blow all sorts of other bodily things uh, outside of you, you know, and if you're going to have to leave and go to the restroom or something like that, you want to make sure that you're all free and clear before you dive in. You don't want to be passing gas. You don't want to be snotty and spitting up stuff, you know, which really makes it hard when you have a sinus uh, infection and all that kind of stuff. So you have to make sure you dismiss yourself from the presence. You step backwards three steps and that gives you that separation to, uh, and you bow, you know, to take leave of the king, to take leave of the presence of the Shekinah. And then you go and handle your business and take care of stuff. And then you come back and reset yourself. So um, if you find yourself in those situations, just know, make, sanctify the space. So don't, don't do all sorts of obscene things while you're in the presence of the Shekinah. So there's that. Just a little, little uh, halakha in there while you're davening says, after taking three steps back, we say a short prayer for peace and a prayer for the rebuilding of the Holy Temple. We pray that, unlike Nebuchadnezzar's steps, our steps shall lead to the rebuilding of the temple, may it be speedily in our days. So, <clears throat> one of the things that's really cool about these three steps that we're doing a sign of respect to Hashem and we're also um, bidding him shalom, like we're leaving, so to speak, his presence, his concentrated presence before us. And we're also 
countering what Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar was so like, man, I want to honor God so much. And it was like, well, because of what you did, you're now allowed to destroy the temple. And it's like, how is honoring God destroying his temple? Well, that's that's a drosh for another time. But the temple was already destroyed. And all Nebuchadnezzar was doing was working as the hand of God to complete the manifestation of it. Because the things that we did in the temple, you know, sexual perversion, uh, bringing idols into the temple, uh, writing on the walls, uh, being hatred, hateful to one another. Uh, we killed one of the prophets on Yom Kippur. Zechariah to be uh, exact. Um, what else did we do in the temple? We did all sorts of lewd activities in the temple. We brought blemished offerings. Because that's a big deal. So, yeah. So when you talk about the temple being destroyed, it's kind of like the temple was already destroyed way before it got physically destroyed. Same thing with the second temple. So... You know, that's kind of interesting. You know, many people talk about sanctified spaces and things like that, you know, whether it be uh, synagogues or homes and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I can't believe you ruined our home. I can't believe you, you know, you just like separated from me or disrespected the space or disrespected the furniture. And it's like, well, if acts of impropriety are going on, who really is disrespecting space? You know, if you're treating the synagogue like a brothel or if you're treating the synagogue like a place where you can just go and slander people all the day long. Then if people leave that building because those things are going on, it's not that they're leaving Hashem. Hashem has already been dismissed from that place because those activities are happening or Everyone is disregarding Hashem's presence, which I don't know which one is worse. But anyway, just to bring that up, because, you know, the things that go on in our home should be, you know, kosher as well. We, we, we sometimes think of, oh, the synagogue is way more highly exalted in our home because it's got the Torah scroll. It's got the ark. It's got the bima. It's got, you know, other sanctified furnishings. And this is the meeting places where we pray and all that kind of stuff. But actually... Your home is equally as important, if not more important, because what you do at the synagogue is just a reflection of what you do in your home. So if cray-cray things are happening in your shul, who knows what's going on in your home and the telltale signs of what's going on in your home based off of what's going on in your synagogue is quite frankly disturbing, you know? So your shul should be a reflection of what's going on in your home. So say la on that, you know. So may we all merit to have homes that are sanctified and overflowing with life and cleanliness and purity and not uh, debauchery and all sorts of other unseemly acts. So <clears throat> that's one thing. So we counter Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the temple. Here's another one. So Ezekiel chapter 1 where he sees the Merkava, the chariot, the throne of God. 
with the image on it. The image of the Holy One, blessed be He, sitting on it. it. says, when we pray, we endeavor to be like the angels. You ever wonder why we uh, elevate on our toes when we say, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Zevahot, Melo Kolaritz Kevodo. And then on the uh, Kedushah, we also say that same phrase. And then we also say, Baruch Kevod Adonai Mim Komo. When we say Baruch from that phrase, we also elevate up on our toes. We actually don't bow. So if you look in your Siddur, it tells you where you're to elevate up on your toes. And this is symbolic of being like the angels that hover around the throne of God. So it's as if you have angel wings, so you're like elevating. And then when we say, Leolam uh, uh, hang on, let me actually quote it again. Sometimes I get so uh, get so hyped up on these Brocco that I forget them. I say them all the time, and then it's like, quick, quote it on the spot, and it's like, oh my gosh, what what was that? Anyway, uh, so the kedusha right here, we say Yim lo Karonai leolam Hallelujah. So on Yim Lok of that phrase, we also elevate on our toes. So when we say Kadosh, 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 we elevate on our, to our tippy toes. Then when we say Baruch Kevod, we elevate on our tippy toes. And then when we say Yim Lok, we elevate on our tippy toes. Okay, and again, that's in the Kedushah. So just a little drop there because when we pray, we endeavor to be like angels. And the sages were like, yeah, so be on your tippy toes, like float, like make yourself light, like you're fluttering about God's presence. And then it says the verse in Yehezkiel, my favorite prophet, not that we should have favorites, but I got one. That describes the position of the angel states, their raglehem regel yeshara, which is their legs were a straight leg. Now, this is where Stav Soldat Shlita, oh my goodness, one year he decided to read some commentary about the angels and they don't have knees. So they're not able to sit. And that the angels also have one leg. And he has never lived that down. He has not had a leg to stand on since he read that commentary. And so he talked about the angels having one leg. But actually, it says that the angels always pray with their feet together which is why we do the same thing when we pray you put your feet together there's no space between your feet unless it's actually uncomfortable for you to stand that way because you need to be comfortable when you pray to a certain extent now don't go out there like straddling like your legs all the way out like a crazy person but your legs should your feet should be touching the inner soles of your feet touching side by side so your feet should be together like as if you have one leg and so that's how the angels pray. And the angels also don't have knees, so they, they can't bend their knees. And so there's a whole thing about there's no sitting in heaven, but Memtet is allowed to sit. And then it's like, wait, what? You know, but Memtet is an angel, but he's not. All that kind of stuff. So anyway, 
there's a whole lot more to that but just want to bring that up that it says their legs were a straight leg because it says regel yashara and that is specifically <clears throat> in Yehezekiel 1.7 and it says in addition to this verse being the source for the halakha of placing both feet together during the Amidah so if at any point that your feet need to be together and touching each other do it specifically during the Amidah, the Shemona Esrei. All the other parts of prayer, you know, stand how you need to stand, but strive for, <laughs> pun intended, because it's kind of like strive, but we're not moving. We only have one leg. <laughs> how can we strive? But anyway, make sure you endeavor to put your feet together during the Shemona Esrei. <clears throat> And then it's, oh, and uh, Torah Wellspring says that you put yourself in a position like you're an Akida at that point because you only, you're so bound up that you can't really move quite easily and for fear of balance, you know, like it's just kind of like you only have Hashem to depend on, you know, as you're praying because it's like, what if I fall over? It's like you make yourself into this very vulnerable offering. <laughs> I see you. Uh, when you put your feet together. <clears throat> and so they were, were uh, doing the compare contrast that the nations pray with their hands together, but Jews pray with their feet together. And when you pray with your feet together, it's as if you're praying with your hands together. And the nations don't know why they pray with their hands together. So anyway, just a few drops on that, that praying with your feet together makes you into an Akidah, it shows that you're all in and your faith is only in Hashem because you're so vulnerable because your balance is is like very precarious when you have your feet together like that. And again, you put that together with the fact that you're in the presence of the Shekinah. It's as if you're standing before the king in his chamber. So all of that going on and you're like an angel who pray with their feet together all the time. They do it constantly. What? Hi. <laughs> yeah, I saw you. You see, you saw me sneaking. Yeah, I saw you over there, but then you appeared over here. So the second part of your your sneaking was successful. All right. So it goes on to say that the halakha of placing both feet together during the amidah it is also the source for taking three steps backwards, since the minimum. For the plural of legs is two, which plus the singular leg makes a total of three steps. Now that's some ninja stuff right there. <clears throat> and of course, they have more as far as reading the sword. Where'd you go? Yehoshua is appearing and disappearing like a gazelle. There, there he is, being spiritual. Because, you know, Yehoshua's same name as Yeshua, so, huh? I didn't even know you were looking. Yeah, I was looking. I heard you. I heard your voice, but I didn't see your face. <laughs> anyway, spiritual activity going on while I'm joshing. Okay, so when you talk about having your legs together, that's one. Then when you take the two steps backwards... And then you put your legs back together after those two steps. That's three steps. And that constitute for legs. <clears throat> and that's one of the sources for taking three steps backwards. 
So in order to classify having legs, you have to at least take two steps. So there's that. That may not make any sense. So don't don't feel like, oh, what did he say? I have to get that. But anyway, it's in the article. The name of the article on Chabad, Why Take Three Steps Backward After Kaddish and the Amidah. That's the whole title. <laughs> so anyway, you can message me and uh, I'm going to save this page as a favorite and I can send it to you. That way you can have it for reference and you can hopefully read it in a more understandable way. Now it says, Descending from the Altar. Our prayers serve as a substitute for the services that are performed in the Holy Temple. So you ever wonder, well, people go, oh, so you're Jewish, right? So how do you make sacrifices? And you're like, yeah, I make sacrifices all day. I pray. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you're one of those people. And it's like, dude, did you not read Hebrews? Specifically, it's uh, what, chapter 13? see here i'm gonna read i'm gonna read from the ojb orthodox jewish bible hebrews chapter 13 talks about sacrifices did you know that well if you don't know now you're about to know you know all right um, chapter 13 Come on, chapter 13. I know you're in here. Okay. So it says... Here it is. 13.15 By him. Who is him? Yeshua. Therefore, let us offer up Zevach Todah. Let us offer up thanksgiving offerings, thanksgiving slaughterings, because the word zevach means to slaughter, like what you do to an offering, to, con to Hashem continually, that is the fruit of our lips giving hodaya, thanksgiving to his shmo, his name. So every time we say Baruch Atah Adonai, and in a state of thanksgiving to Hashem, we've just offered up a sacrifice. So here we read that prayer substitutes for temple service. So we do sacrifices in the temple every morning, all the way out the day through the afternoon. Then after that, throughout the night, there is the afternoon lamb that's burning on the altar so it's as if there is a perpetual offering going on throughout the night. So the care is in taking care of that offering that was placed on there. That's why Ma'ariv, the, the prayer that we do at the night, is technically not an obligation, but it is. Because Ma'ariv was based off of what did the Leviim do in the temple uh, when the afternoon lamb was burning all night until morning. They sang psalms of praise. They kept the fire burning. They made sure the, uh, the lamb was being consumed by the fire. So this is why when you read Ma'ariv prayers, um, there's not the repetition of the Shimon Esrei. If you're praying in a minion, 
Uh, there's also uh, different prayers that you pray after the Shema. You know, and things like that. And so a, lo a lot of things is just on remembrances and trusting God's faithfulness to carry us through the night. Uh, remembering things that he's done for us and things like that. And so throughout the day, you know, we're really engaged on the present, the now, what's going on. You know, remembering that we just got delivered from Egypt and all that kind of stuff. And really walking in that. And throughout the night, we're just maintaining our faith in that, that we were delivered the previous day. And we're going to be delivered as we're getting ready for the next day. Because days start at night in Judaism. So all of that so prayer is all about sacrifices so we're nation of priests right we're kingdom of priests so all of us should know how to make sacrifices and this is why we're called to pray without ceasing so you look at all that it says more specifically they correspond to the daily tamid offerings brought on the altar this is why during the day, there are two prayers that are obligatory. Shakarit and Minka. Because that's the morning lamb during Shakarit and the afternoon lamb during Minka. So if you don't pray at all, at least pray during those times. Because that corresponds to the lambs that were offered. Shakarit corresponds to the morning lamb, which you know corresponds to Isaac. The Akidah, the first Akidah. The afternoon lamb corresponds to Yeshua, the final Akedah, the final offering. So then it goes on to say, and by the way, when Kepha, that's Peter, was going to the temple to pray, there was a person who was lame sitting at the beautiful gate and he was begging alms, you know, and things like that. And Kepha looked at him and said, I have nothing to give you, but what I do have, I give you, which is Yeshua. Which we know Yeshua is redemption. Shouts out to Yeshua. <laughs> it's really cool, Yehoshua. Your name is uh, Yeshua for short. Like your nickname. <laughs> what can you see? Can you see it? Oh, you're hiding things? No, I'm trying to take it out. Oh, you're trying to take it out? You're probably going to have to lift the table up. There it is. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how, that's how you find it? Yeah. You gotta lift the table. Sometimes when you're looking for the lost coin, you gotta lift stuff up. Continues to get spiritual over here. And there's a parable of the lost coin that was taught by Yeshua. And here Yeshua is losing coins and we're finding them. <laughs> Love it. Okay, anyway, it says these timing offerings are brought on the altar after which, so after you bring your Corbin to the altar. It says the priest would descend the altar backwards. So why do we take three steps back during the Kaddish and the Shimoni Esrei? Because we're stepping away from our offering on the altar. And it says since there were three strata of rock between the altar and the ramp that the priest would descend when we depart from the divine presence after prayer, we do so in the same fashion. So we got battling against Nebuchadnezzar so that the temple doesn't be destroyed and actually praying that we the temple's rebuilt. So the three steps I have to do with that has to do with because we're like angels and praying in God's presence. 
which is the whole Ezekiel thing. Now we got the priest descending the altar. Well, what else? We got Moshe and the heavenly partitions. It says, when Moshe ascended Mount Sinai to be in God's presence and receive the Torah, the mountain burned with fire into the midst of the heavens, with darkness, a cloud, and an opaque darkness. The Midrash explains that darkness, a cloud, and opaque darkness refer to three partitions that Moshe had to go through when he entered and when he took leave of the Divine Presence. Similarly, when we take leave of the Divine Presence after the Amida, Shemona Esrei, and also the Kaddish, it says, we take three steps back. So this is to represent the three partitions that Moshe went in to get into the heavenlies and that Moshe walked backwards out of to get out of the heavenlies. So get this. So when Moshe went to go get the Torah, you're good. <laughs> when Moshe went to go get the Torah, he was carrying the tablets or they were floating above him, but he was walking backwards to come back from heaven down to earth to turn around after that point and see that we were dancing around the golden calf. So, could you imagine the MC Hammer can't touch this spinning around backwards? Please don't put that in your mouth. I'm not. Okay. No choking in the sukkah. <laughs> so anyway, could you imagine the MC Hammer can't touch this spin around and golden calf? And it's like, oh my goodness. My life got flipped, turned upside down kind of thing going on. And uh, the tablets get broke. So... It's like, turn around, grab the tablets, smash them. That's what ended up happening. So anyway, that's another thing. Um, running away from the mountain, about a seven to eight mile run that we did when, mountain, when uh, God showed up at Mount Sinai, where the shofar blasts were happening. It says we ran away about seven to eight miles because... The uh, the biblical source says it was a distance of three mil, which is a Talmudic era measurement. So, about let's just go. Let's be real generous. Seven miles, okay. At most, about eight point something miles. I don't know about you, but running one mile for me is just kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. But we were so freaked out when Hashem showed up, we ran seven miles away from the mountain. And God sent his angels out to go get us. And you're talking millions of Jews and Egyptians and who knows who else people group. Everybody that showed up to the mountain was a mixed multitude of us. Anybody who wanted Torah, <laughs> anybody who wanted to get them some. So everybody ran away, and God was like, all right, angels, go get them. <laughs> so it says, upon hearing the awesome sound of God giving the Torah on Mount Sinai, the Jews re reacted by retreating a distance of three mil. We commemorate this sense of awe and also take three steps backwards at the end of our personal rendezvous with the divine. So that means when we're saying the Kaddish and when we're saying the Shemona Esrei, we are literally entering into the divine presence. So much so that we need to take three steps back so that we can take leave of the divine presence. So we definitely go into a different dimension. And it's through the number three that we go in and out. Very, very cray cray. 
Then, here's the very first and original one. This is that tractate of Talmud. It says, it teaches upon concluding the Amidah. One should retreat in a respectful manner by taking three steps backwards and only afterwards. Should one bid shalom, which means peace or farewell. Commentaries explain that the three steps back demonstrate that we are leaving a place of holiness, as it were, and transitioning to a mundane place. Just as we would take leave of a king once our appointment is concluded, we respectfully take leave of God after these special prayers. So Shimon Esrei and the Kaddish are like having an appointment with the king. And it's like once that meeting and appointment is concluded, we take three steps back and then we say Shalom. And notice we say three types of Shalom. Shalom in the heights. Shalom upon us and upon all Israel. Man, come on. It says, for similar reasons, we also take three steps back or after the Kaddish before bidding Shalom. So those are uh, some of the things behind the three steps. And again, I'm looking at the uh, picture that's ahead of it. It shows the two feet side by side. And then it shows that you step backwards with uh, your... You, you should lead backwards with your left. So you swing your left foot behind your right foot. Then you swing your right foot behind your left. Your right foot behind your... Or your left foot behind your right. And then bring both feet back together. And that's your three steps. And the pattern that you would end up making on the ground is actually a figure eight. To which one of our other Avengers, Toshia Shlita... Uh, our Black Panther Avenger, he brought down that, yeah, just like the covenant between the parts, there was a figure eight made with the going between the parts. So Hashem walking through, which was the smoking furnace and the torch going through, Hashem and his Mashiach, basically. So, yeah, so there's this figure eight motion that's happening. And we know the figure eight is connected to the infinity and all of that. And so it's just a beautiful concept of. Uh, you're connecting to infinity and you're uh, tying in the the heavenly dimension with the earthly dimension. And you're the channel of that conduit that connects. Kind of like we talked about with the Zodic. So I have a podcast about the Zodic. And that's the whole bridge between the material world and the higher heavenly worlds. So anyway, that's what happens to the three steps. And we know about the three cords that are bound together. That's not easily broken. So our three steps are doing that. And remember, shalom means nothing broken, nothing missing. So all of that, Selah.